So right after Amy and I graduated college, we both became public school teachers. We were both elementary school teachers. We taught right across the hall from each other. And what they did is they took two medium-sized elementary schools, and they mushed them together, and they said, we're going to have one big O school, like 1,200 kids, big O school. And I was a first-year teacher, and so as a first-year teacher, like, I didn't know any better. I was a young whoopersnapper with no money. So I'm like, I'll volunteer for every duty. Like, you need, you need cafeteria duty, I'm in. You know, you want, because it was extra pay for all this stuff. So I was like, lead teacher, like, I'll do that. You want bus duty, count. So just so you know, if you're thinking about becoming a school teacher, don't ever volunteer for bus duty. Like, it is the worst thing imaginable. Because you got 1,200 kids, and they all have to get onto these buses. And as they're getting onto the buses, you can't have a kindergartner remember bus number 23742. Like, they're just not going to remember that bus number. And so someone way smarter than me said, we're going to have a system. You know, we're going to have a fox bus and a turtle bus and a green bus and a red bus. So they had all these buses coded. And the kids, it was incredible because this was a new thing, right? This was a brand new school. And the kids, for the most part, they knew what they were doing. But there was this one little guy. You know, and I show up. Now, I show up first day of school. I got my pleated khakis on, do my best Coach Harbaugh impersonation. I had my start shirt, had my tie. I had a whistle. I wasn't a coach. I just thought, you know, I'm a guy teacher. I should have a whistle. It just seems official, you know. So I had my whistle. And this one little guy, he looked so lost. So I thought back to my teacher school days. And they were like, don't ever, you know, especially as a guy teacher, don't look at the kids and talk. That freaks them out. Don't do that. So I got down on a knee and I looked this little guy in the eye and I said, hey, buddy, like, which bus do you ride? Can I help you find your bus? Because you should probably be in line somewhere. And he looked at me and he said, Mr. Creech, which I don't know how he knew my name, but he did. He goes, Mr. Creech, poo-poo bus. Poo-poo bus, Mr. Creech. And I looked at, and I'm not trying to rough talk in church, but this is just what this little guy said to me. And I looked at him and I said, oh, no, sir. No, sir. We do not talk that way in this school. Like, and I'm being so serious. And he looks at me like, what? And he just, that thing that I said, he said, he kept saying that. I don't need, we're in church, right? I don't need to say that anymore. So he kept saying it, that thing, over and over and louder and louder. And he's getting so frustrated. His face is getting red. I had hair back then, not so much hair, but I had some hair still. But like my, my head was sweating. I could feel it. I, I could feel I was turning red. And I'm just, I, so I keep saying like, you need to stop saying that. And he keeps saying it. And finally, he walks over to his teacher and he put this other teacher, he pulls on her, on her pant leg and she looks down at him. He points at me, he says, Mr. Creech, Mr. Creech, Mr. Creech, poo-poo bus, poo-poo bus, poo-poo bus. And she goes, "Hun, I know, just relax, the purple bus will be here in just a little bit. <laughs> and that's when I was so humiliated, right? That's like hashtag teacher fail as the new teacher, right? Leadership fail for me. Again, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Woodside Romeo. I am Billy Creech, and I'm your interim campus pastor, and we're in this sermon series called Paradox. Today, we're talking about the paradox of leadership, which is where I blew it with that one, right? I totally blew it as a leader, but we're going to talk about the paradox of leadership. However, before I jump in there, I know you've already heard this, but I want to say it again. Easter is in three weeks. Y'all realize that, right? Three weeks. It's just three weeks away, and we're going to have four services starting at seven in the morning, which is what this morning felt like. It wasn't really seven, but it felt like seven, and so we're going to start at seven, eight thirty, ten, and eleven thirty, and you're going to want to get here early. Look around. Three weeks away till Easter. This is not Easter, but it's already all filled up. Okay, so you're going to need to get here early. Make sure you do the SOS. Scoot over some. The week before Easter is Palm Sunday. That's when the Easter egg hunt is. I know you've already heard it, but I want you to hear it again. That's when the Easter egg hunt is. 
following this service. Following this service, there'll be an Easter egg hunt and lunch. Lunch is provided, which is going to be awesome. So I need you guys to all do me a favor. This year, I'm very serious about this. I want you this week to prayer walk through your neighborhood. And, and if you like live out in the country, go find a neighborhood and just start to prayer walk that neighborhood. And if it's cold and nasty and disgusting outside, prayer drive. And I'm being serious. Prayer drive your neighborhood. And what I want you to do is just pray for that community. Can, can we do that? Like, I, I think we can as a church. I think we can just pray for all of the families in this community. Easter is about a celebration of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We are transformed because of that truth. I want this whole community to experience that. So let's be very diligent about saying we want to stand with this community in prayer. Okay, let's just drive through. And maybe, just maybe, what's going to happen is as you're driving through and praying for that community, maybe what's going to happen is your heart's going to be stirred and you're going to go, oh man, I didn't think this was going to happen. Billy said it might happen. I didn't think it was going to happen, but I got to invite them to church. And if you invite them to church, invite them to Easter or invite them to the egg hunt. Okay, let's do that. And so, again, we're going to, all kinds of things happening in three weeks, in two weeks. Next week, there's going to be exciting things happening next week. You'll need to be watching and paying attention for that information that's to come. That's to come later. But we're in this series called Paradox. Paradox is where Jesus is starting in Galilee. And he's walking his way to Jerusalem with the disciples. He's teaching them about what it means to be a follower. Today he shifts gears though and he's going to come into this conversation on leadership and it takes everything that we think we know about leadership and it dumps it on its head. Everything you think you know about leadership, you're going to see today, Jesus kind of dumps it right on his head. In fact, the big idea today is this. True leadership values service over status. Let's say it again. True leadership values service over over status. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles, if you will, to Mark chapter 10. We're going to start in verse 32, and we're going to go through 45. As you're turning there, I want to set the scene real quick. Jesus is going with the disciples. They're headed to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. Okay, so they're headed for the the Passover festival, and as they're on the way, Jesus has already twice predicted his death. He's already twice told them about the coming crucifixion. They didn't want to listen. They didn't want to hear it. He's told them about the resurrection. Twice already he's done this. This is going to be the third time. The text today is going to be the third time that Jesus predicts his death, his crucifixion, his resurrection. The disciples are going to be taught three ways that they're going to need to lead. The first that you're going to see is to set aside the glory of self. Let's look what scripture says starting in verse 32. And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them, and they were amazed, and those who followed were afraid. Taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him, saying, See, we're going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles, and they will mock him and spit on him. And flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise. So they're traveling down the road, and Jesus makes this prediction, and it's not pretty. He says, I'm going to be arrested, and then there's going to be a trial, and they're going to mock me and beat me and flog me and crucify me. And then after three days, I'm going to rise again. He's very, very clear about the horrible, disgraceful death that he's going to face. And then we keep reading, and there's this 
odd transition in verse 35. Look at this. The Bible says, And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. Now, if you're a parent, maybe your kids have tried this before. It's always weird, though, isn't it? It's like they've read the book, How to Win Friends, Influence People. And so they come up to you, and they just start nodding their head, and they go, Hey, Mom. Hey, Dad. Um, I got an idea, and I just think you should say yes. Like, you should just say this is a good idea. And you're looking at them going, I don't trust anything you're about to say. Like, whatever comes out of your mouth is probably a bad idea. And I don't know why James and John thought this is a great idea, but that's how they went to Jesus. Jesus Whatever we ask, you should just say yes. We think yes is a great answer. And he says to them, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, grant us to sit one at your right hand, one at your left, in your glory. So after Jesus' prediction, he's just told about the coming crucifixion and resurrection. They're like, Jesus, we believe. You know, we, we believe you're the Messiah, and so we have a request. We know that there's only two empty spots beside you. One at your left, one at your right. We just, we just want permission just to be close to you in glory. That seems innocent, doesn't it? I mean, it seems like a pretty valid request. Jesus, I just want to be close to you. We didn't see them asking to win the lottery. There was no lottery. But we didn't see them asking like we want to win the lottery. We want, you know, a thousand goats or whatever they would ask for. They didn't ask for any of that, did they? They just said, Jesus, we want to be close to you. And it seems so innocent until you look at the response of Jesus. When you see the response of Jesus, you see that there's a motivation behind their request that wasn't what it ought to be. Look back at our Bible, starting in verse 38. Jesus says to them, you do not know what you're asking. Are, are, you, are you able to drink the cup that I drink? Or be baptized with the baptism which I am baptized? And they said to him, we are able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand and my left is not mine to grant but it's for those with whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they became indignant at James and John. So James and John, they go in puffed up, don't they? They go in real high in the confidence department. Jesus, we have this request. And Jesus looks at them and says, you don't, you don't have any idea. You don't have any clue to what you're asking you don't know what it's like to drink from the cup of judgment. That's, that's what we're talking about. You don't know what it's like to have the weight of sin of the entire world just come washing down with baptism waters over. You don't understand what I'm getting ready to face. You really don't get it. And they're like, oh, no, we get it. Like, we're in. And I think that's where we need to slow way, way down. Like, if it's okay, I want to dive a little bit deeper right here. Because the Old Testament has a lot to say about this. When you hear the cup... There's two cups in the Old Testament. Right, you had the cup of blessing. The cup of blessing, if you participate in a, in a Jewish Passover Seder today, you have the cup of blessing. Right, you're just continually reminded of God's rich blessings. But there's another cup we see. It's a cup of judgment. You guys are familiar with King Nebuchadnezzar, right? King Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians, they, they came down and they, they just decimated Israel. They just, they just whipped up on them as, as Babylon went to war with Israel. Babylon came in and just absolutely annihilated the place. And it's with that scene that Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, he speaks true to the people of Jerusalem. And he says this, he says, wake yourself. 
Wake yourself. Stand up, O Jerusalem. Listen to what he says. He says, you have drunk from the hand of the Lord the cup of his wrath, who drunk from the dregs the bowl, the cup of staggering. So God's people have just been massacred. And in that place, Isaiah says, Isaiah says, this, this is the cup of judgment. Right? We're looking around at all the death and destruction. We understand as people what it is to drink from the cup of judgment. Baptism's the same. Now, we're all familiar with baptism, aren't we? Baptism is what happens for someone after they place their faith in Jesus. They get baptized. It's a public declaration of something that's happened here. In fact, if you place your faith in Jesus over the last uh, few weeks or maybe even a few years, if you've never been baptized and you place your faith in Jesus, I want to encourage you to fill out the communication card. Just check mark on there that you made a decision that you want to be baptized. You need to have more conversation. Because here's what it means. Here's what it symbolizes. When you're baptized, you go under the water. You are publicly standing with Jesus in his death and his burial when you go underwater. It's a way to show to all family and friends in the church to say, the old me is dead. When I go under the water, the old me is dead. I'm showing you the symbol of that. And when you come exploding out of the water, there's a reason that we as a church cheer so loudly, isn't there? We celebrate because you are saying, I am publicly standing with Jesus in his resurrection. I am publicly standing to walk a new kind of life. That old me is gone. This is the new me. I am now clothed in Christ. The Holy Spirit is living in me, and it is go time, right? There's a reason we celebrate. But in the Old Testament, there were other waters that came washing down. See the word baptism. It comes from the Greek word baptizo. It means to submerge. It means to, to dunk. It means to go under. When Genesis chapter 6 through 9, we see the world baptized, don't we? We see the rainwater start to rise, and we see the entire world submerged from God's waters of judgment, don't we? Because people had rebelled against God, and so we tasted a whole different kind of baptism in that moment. Or we could go to Moses. We like the story of Moses. We like that story a lot. I don't know why we always tell half the story, but we just tell a piece of it, don't we? We like the part where Moses takes a stick, and he takes people who have been slaves in Egypt, and he marches them out of Egypt to the promised land. And as they're walking, they get to these waters. Do you remember this? And he holds a stick up. Just so I'm clear, the stick doesn't part the waters. We know that, right? God does that. Like the stick is a cool prop, but the stick really had no magical property. It was God doing that, but the stick's still cool. So he holds up the stick. The waters open up, and Moses and, and the Israelites, they walk right through on dry ground, don't they? And oftentimes in church, that's where we stop the story, Right, man, that's an awesome story, but there's more to it. Keep reading, because you know what comes next? It says the waters come crashing down, and when the waters come crashing down, the Bible says that Pharaoh's army, the best of his soldiers, were drowned in the sea. His chariots were lost to the sea. There was judgment as the waters came down. So Jesus looks at James and John, and he's like, you, you don't get it. You don't get what it means to drink from the cup. You don't. You don't really understand what it means for the baptism waters to come crashing down. You really don't understand what you're asking. Now, why did they, why'd they do that? Like, what, what was the motivation in them that said, no, I'm going to do this, and I'm just going to walk in there and have this conversation? Why, why this moment? When Jesus has just told them about the, the coming crucifixion and resurrection, why is this the moment when they're so bold? We don't, we don't really know. But here's my guess, and I think it's a pretty good guess. 
This is the first time in the entire gospel of Mark that Peter, James, and John are not all together. She has 12 disciples, right? But out of the 12 disciples, there's really three that Jesus spends the most amount of time with. The inner circle, Peter, James, and John. In Mark chapter 5, Jesus shows up to the synagogue ruler's home to raise the little girl back from the dead. And when he does that, it's Peter, James, and John who are there. When Jesus climbs the mountain for the transfiguration, he is, he is changed right in front of them. They're able to see Jesus in his glory. His clothes shine so white. It was brighter than any white they'd ever seen before. And in that moment, Peter, James, and John, they were the three who were there. But this moment, Peter's missing. Peter's not there. So I think this is that moment, first time we ever see in Mark, that they're not all three together. I think this is where they're like, this is a power play. Like, we're going to sneak in. We're going to make the request because one person out of the three is going to be out. So, like, let's get in there before Peter's in there. We can have the brothers on each side of Jesus. Let's do that. And now, so many in this room, so many in this room, you serve in different positions of leadership, don't you? You serve at your work. You serve in a neighborhood group. You serve right here in the church. You serve in your home. I guess my question for you would be, why, why do you want those positions of leadership? What's the, what's the motivation behind it? Because Jesus is teaching us in a very, very clear way with James and John right here, it shouldn't be about the shiny name badge. It shouldn't be about the new position on the door. It's so much bigger than that. We must set aside the glory of ourselves in that moment, which brings us to the second point today. Second thing, as Jesus continues to teach about leadership, is we want to see him point to the fact that we have to give a high priority to the good of others. We have to give a high priority to the good of others. Look back at your Bible, verse 42. The word of God says, and Jesus called them to him, and he said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. I'd underline that in my Bible fire. You lord it over them. Go ahead and underline that phrase. And their great ones, I'd underline great ones, exercise authority over them, but it shall not be among you. I'd also underline that it shall not be among you. So this word lord over, let's go back to that. That word Lord over. It's a rarely used phrase in the New Testament. You don't see that used very often. One of the only other times you see it is Acts 19. Acts 19, you have the Jewish rulers. They show up at this guy's house because he's demon-possessed. And they're trying to kick the demons out of this guy. So they show up. They have this guy in the corner. They're trying to exercise the demon. Luke wrote the book of Acts. Luke wrote this. Luke says, the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them and mastered all of them. That word mastered all of them is the same word lorded over them. It's the exact same word in the Greek. Exact same word. So let's go back to what Luke said. The man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. That's the kind of leadership Jesus is condemning. Jesus is condemning a type of leadership that's just overpowering controlling, forceful. It's the kind of leadership that leaves people wounded. Have you ever, have you ever been hurt by this type of leadership in the church? Maybe you've been hurt by that type of leadership in your own home. 
growing up, you felt that type of leadership, type of leadership that just wounded you? Maybe you felt it at work before. You kind of work and you had this kind of leader. It just hurts. Jesus is condemning that type of leadership. He also says their great ones exercise authority over them. Their great ones. That's what we look for in leaders, isn't it? We look for greatness. We want, we want great minds. We want people who are real great in their mind. We want, we want great wealth. We want great pedigree. We want great charisma. We want great all of this stuff. That's what we want. We look for leaders with greatness. But Jesus says this. He says, but it shall not be so among you. Meaning as followers of Jesus, what we look for in leaders should be different. How you and I view the world should be upside down from what others talk about. And I don't mean you shouldn't have good strategy in your leadership. And yet, I'm, we're not even talking about that right now. I'm just talking about the heart of the leader is so upside down from this me-centered leadership, this uh, aggressive style of leadership. This is totally different. He puts it this way. He says, it shall not be so among you. He says, whoever will be great among you must be your servant. And whoever will be first among you must be slave of all. That's strong, isn't it? Now just think about the implications. If someone's a servant, if someone's a servant, how do you measure their success? I think if someone's a servant, you measure success based on those that they're serving. Right? Are they doing a good job with those they're serving? So in, in church, when we look at the kingdom of God, when we look at leadership, the followers are the ones who take the priority. Does that make sense? The followers are the ones that take the priority. And then Jesus ups the ante here, right here, with some strong language. He doesn't just say you should love all. He doesn't just say you should serve all. Look at the aggressive word he uses. He says you should be a slave to all. I don't, I don't like that word very much. I have a feeling most of you don't like that word very much. And we don't like it for a lot of reasons. It's barbaric. Right? It's a barbaric practice. Slavery says, based on, on where you're from, based on the color of your skin, or based on your gender, we're going to kidnap you, and we're going to put you into slavery. Fair? Like, that's essentially what that is. Based on where you're from, based on the color of your skin, based on your gender, we're going to sell you into slavery. You have no choice in the matter. That form of barbaric slavery existed even in the first century. But there was one more form of slavery, which really is more what this is pointing toward. That's a form of slavery that would say, I'm bankrupt. You know, I, don't, I don't have anything. I don't have any money. I'm probably going to die. I really don't know what I'm going to do. And so you could take yourself and you could go to an individual and you could say, I'm going to enslave myself to you because of your wealth. I'm, I'm just going to enslave myself to you. And you're going to have control over my entire life. And it could be temporary. It didn't have to be a forever enslavement. But you, you literally could put yourself into slavery and so as Jesus talks about this and he's intensifying this call it's this place where we get to say in the kingdom of God I get to give my life away to all those I lead those that I'm leading I, I'm really enslaving myself to everyone that I'm leading you see again Jesus takes what we think about leadership and he turns it completely upside down he teaches us this whole different way to go about it. When I think about church, when I think about this church specifically, I think there's a lot of individuals who do this well. I think there's a lot of individuals who truly do love all, serve all, become a slave to all. They do this really well. They're great examples. But I've asked one specific individual 
uh, to come to the stage to help me this morning, just to tell more about her story. So church, can you help me in welcoming Heather Cumming to the stage this morning? All right. So Heather, I know that most people know you. There's some who don't. So could you start just by talking to me about how long you've been coming to the Romeo campus? Tell me, uh, again, introduce yourself to us. And, and what's your job here? What do you do at Woodside Romeo? Okay, well, good morning. Um, I think a lot of you probably do know me. My name is Heather Cumming. I am the discipleship director here at the Romeo campus. I've been part of Romeo, my goodness, way back in the day um, when we were actually um, First Baptist Church of Romeo. Wait, I did this in the second service. How many of you, you were here during First Baptist Romeo days? Raise your hand. Yay. All right, there they are. <laughs> there they are. Just a few of us. But um, that means I've been here for about 14 years with Richard, my husband. And I've been on staff actually for just shy of five years. And what that title means, discipleship director, which is, is uh, you know, it's a big title, but what it really means is that I oversee the way that things go here, sort of like events. I oversee uh, neighborhood groups so that you can connect to us. So that's really the, the gist of what I do, along with a team. Um, Lauren is also involved in that. But I, um, I certainly, when you fill out a card, when you fill out anything, when you call the church, my job is to connect you to this church family. So communication and relationship are other things that really um, I'm involved in. Excellent. You know, I think a lot of times when you throw out, I, I'm glad that you described it just a little bit, because I think when we say a title, people, people picture like, here's what that is. Or when you have a job description, like probably you all know what it feels like to have a job description that's a half page or maybe even a full page. And you just kind of laugh at it because you're like, that does not do justice to what I really do. Like that really does not give the full picture. So talk to us a little bit about what is a week in the life of Heather look like? I mean, because I heard discipleship director and a little bit about connect, but what does that mean? Like, what do you do all week long? Okay. Well, I will do my best because quite honestly, no week is the same. Um, it really is like the box of chocolates that we've all heard about. You really never know what you're going to get here at the campus. Um, it's ever-changing. Um, there's always the things that we do every single week that make it tick. Um, there's always the unexpected and this is where it really goes way off from the job description. And I'm so glad and I'm honored and um, just truly blessed with this side of it that I get to do life with you. And that might mean um, in a joyful moment. It might be something you're calling to celebrate, something that you're telling me about. Or it can be in the deepest, darkest moments that I have the joy to be there with you, to pray with you, um, just to, to go through that. And it's funny, when we talk about job descriptions, I remember the very first time I ever read the job description for the Romeo admin, as it was back then. Uh, I read it, and I remember thinking, I don't think I can do this. And praying through it and hearing a very clear voice that, no, actually, on your own, you can't, because this isn't about you. This is about me. So everything you do, everything you think, 
every time you speak, remember who you are in this. And you are my representative. You are my hands and feet. And so I have tried to do that. Believe me, I have failed um, often. <laughs> and they've been the learning curves. And those are the things that usually in life we learn a lot through. Um, but every time, every time, I've had the honor of connecting with um, the church family here. Uh, I remember those words that this is not, this is not about me. This is all about him and the joy of the journey and all of the things that he has allowed me uh, to experience and to do over the last five years is so much bigger than the job description, but I'm incredibly grateful for that. Beautiful. So Monday through Friday, you're pretty much in the church office, and then Sunday, you're always here. And um, I mean, I know what it's like. You get going through life, right? And you get your routines and you get your rhythms. And it seems like that's always when all of a sudden the Lord sends something in there to put a, a hitch in our giddy-up, right? Is that how they say it in Britain, too? No. A hitch in your giddy-up? No. That's not. What would they say? Like um, it, is there I a saying? There's got to be an idiom. A kink in the wheel. I don't know. A kink. Is that a thing? It is a thing. A kink in the wheel. Okay. <laughs> hitch in the giddy-up, kink in the wheel, whatever. But all of a sudden the Lord will do that and kind of get us into different rhythms. And I think oftentimes it's because we're being faithful with what he's given, and then all of a sudden you know, the, the stewardship, right? Mm -hmm. um, talk to us about what that looks like for you. Okay. Well, it's easy to get comfortable, right, in, in any position. I know for myself, um, as I say, the weeks are always changing. It's always super busy. And I've got to that point, I think, where most of us get right in a job where we're like, you know what, this isn't always easy, but I can do it. I can do it. And then there's that voice. And about two months ago, I was um, presented with something to think about, something to pray about regarding maybe taking what I have learned and expanding in it. And it took me right back to the very beginning when I read the first job description for here, and this is a new job description that I'm reading, and I'm sat there and I'm thinking, I don't know if I can do this. And there was that voice again saying, Heather, don't get comfortable. I am not finished with you yet. I'm getting old. I'm going to be honest. I'm getting old. And so I take the opportunities and I try and listen and I try to pray through, where is it, Lord, that you would have me? And this opportunity was really um, just, it was almost like coming full circle, which is so wonderful, where everything that God has allowed you to experience, which is so much more than the job description, suddenly, suddenly all of that, he's telling you, take that. And now I want you to take it to 15 campuses, not just the one. I want you to think about what you've learned and take it to 15. And so an opportunity arose where I was asked if I would consider working actually out of Troy, but still very much connected to the Romeo family, where I would work with the core team to help oversee a lot of what goes on in the different campuses. And so that is where I'm going to be stepping out to be. And there's always that, that voice in my head, uh, Lord, I don't know if I can do this. 
but I'm holding on and I'm listening and I'm seeking him first because I do believe that if I trust in him, he will allow me uh, to do something with this in his name. Heather, I just want you to know you have everything that you need to do exactly what he's called you to. Um, so again, just to, just to make sure we're all on the same page, she's, uh, Heather's been here Monday through Friday, normally during the week for the past five years. She's shifting to a new role. She'll be working out of the Troy campus, really serving all 15 of our campuses. And I'm incredibly grateful for you, grateful for your leadership, grateful for your service. She will still be here, you know, like at Christmas. It wouldn't sound right to have the story read to you with a southern accent. We need a, a proper British <laughs> accent to read it. But serving with our kids, serving uh, to uh, tell everyone welcome in the announcements and everything. And we're just like, really excited about this next leg of the journey for you. Church, help me in saying thank you to Heather this morning. It's a beautiful example, isn't it, of what it looks like to really say, I want to take my life, and, and I want to love well. I want to love the Lord well, and I want to love people well, and I, I really want to be not just a servant to all, but truly a slave to all. And I love how Heather said, you know, when, when you're in the office, it's like that box of chocolates. Every day is different because she doesn't get to decide who's going to call that day. She doesn't get to decide who's going to walk through the front doors and talk to me that day. And her heart has been one that just says, I want to make sure that I'm ready, no matter who it is, to be there to serve them and to love them right where they are. Which brings us to our final uh, passage this morning. And we're going to look at how we're supposed to, as leaders, conform to the cross of Christ. Look down at verse 45. Scripture says this. It says, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So Jesus made crystal clear that he's coming as the Messiah. He is here. He is the glorious king of heaven here on earth. And he said, but in that moment, I didn't come so that others would serve me. He said, I came to serve. And he served by being obedient, even obedient to death, even death on a cross. He was obedient to that place where he said, I'm going to face sin and death, and I'm going to take on the sin of the entire world in that place. What an incredible example. And I think it leaves us all asking the question what would it look like for our leadership to be shaped by Jesus' work on the cross? What's that, what's that look like? You see, the sermon today, it's more than just people who are managers or business owners, it's really meant for those who are sons or daughters. If you're a son or a daughter, what does it look like to lead in your home, to serve in your home? It's, it's meant for moms and dads. What's it look like to lead the way Jesus taught us to lead? Based on his work on the cross, what does leadership look like in your home? What does it look like in your neighborhood group? What does it look like in this church? What's it look like as an employee Sometimes as an employee, isn't it true? Like we keep wanting to do whatever we need to do to work our way up and Jesus teaches us a whole new way. What does it look like as an employer? As you're looking at people who work for you, what does this look like? I think if we're not careful, it's so easy for this negative leadership to sneak in that Jesus really spoke strongly and harshly against. It's easy for a style of leadership to sneak in where all of a sudden there's a wicked destruction behind you. Based on what you've said, based on how you've led, based on how you've loved, it just, it can be a mess behind you. So as we get ready to pray, as we get ready to sing, 
I hope that's the echo of our heart this morning. We really just want to be more like Jesus. We want to be more like Jesus. We don't want to just read his words, but we want to be changed by his words. We want to be transformed in this place. We don't just want to know it here. We want to live it from here. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for today. We thank you for the incredible love that you have for us. We thank you for the truth of your holy word. Lord, we don't want to be people who um, puff up, who take advantage, who feel entitled. We want to be people who love you so much that we do what your holy word says. Lord, continue to teach us and show us what it means to lead well. We want to be a better reflection of you today than we were yesterday. So show us what it means to love all, to serve all, to be a slave to all. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Church, you can stand. We're going to sing together. It's the song that you just listened to a moment ago. But we do want this to continue to be the echo of our heart and our prayers that we're more like Jesus this morning.